Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get to sit down and have a conversation with our pastor, Eric Zellner, and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to Conversations. Um, it's a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church. We're so glad that you're listening today. I'm here with my pastor, Eric Zellner. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Will? I am great. Um, last week, uh, or I guess two weeks ago, it dropped. We talked about um, the, do- uh, the false gospel doctrine is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, this week, we are moving on to a new false gospel uh, that we sat down long and hard to think about. Mm-hmm. Um and we almost continued without doing another one before this one came to our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to be doing the the God of my desires, false gospel. And we came up with a lot of names. Other names were God in my hands or mm-hmm. God as the method or other other ways of saying it. Um, this is called the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel to the common world. Um but please tell us about this false gospel, Pastor Zellner. Sure. Let's let's uh, as we're going to use this as our last of the uh, false gospels. So let me begin by reminding our our listeners, and and it really goes back to where we started with this whole series. What is the true gospel? Um, we want to say what is true, so that when we recognize what's false, we see how it stands in opposition to the Scripture. Uh, the true, you know, the true gospel, and what we what we say when we use that word is that this term, good news, meaning. Um, meaning that sinners who were separated from God have now been offered uh, a, a mediator, a savior to bring them back to God. But we were separated from God because uh, in our sin, we cannot approach a holy God. And so uh, it's important to recognize that the true gospel always begins with my sin as my biggest problem uh, and the fallenness of this world in sin as the biggest problem of, of the human race. Um so then to understand the true gospel is to say that that Christ is God's son offered uh, for salvation so that those who would uh, honestly own up to their sin and own up to their need for uh, a savior uh, to be rescued from our sin, to be delivered out of it. Uh, those who trust in Christ have their sins forgiven. Uh, they're washed away. And more than that, the righteousness of Christ, the good works of Christ are given to us. They're imputed to us uh, for our for our living hope today, but also our eternal certainty uh, tomorrow. So we, we're promised um, in heavenly places an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. And so when we talk about that true gospel, this is how this stands uh, so starkly to that. And that's why I wanted to connect the dots here for us. I wanted to begin with that so that we recognize that that the whole of what we're talking about in the true gospel is a promise that's rooted in something that's beyond this life. So as we when we considered the ways to talk about this, uh, one of the ways is is to simply say, well, we're we're we want to address the health and wealth gospel. Um, That is that God is going to make me healthy or wealthy if I have enough faith to believe him. But but beyond that, there's something that's rooted uh, deeply in that error, which I think is is important for me and you and our listeners to to consider, and that is that that in all of those um, errors, there's almost always the the sense which God that God is functionally an implement in my hand uh, 
if only I can, if only I have enough faith, uh, and 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 by enough faith, I mean I can I can get him to uh, to honor my faithfulness uh, or to uh, to reward me for my goodness. Even there's some ways that that creeps in even to good theology. Yeah, it's almost like faith being the thing that's supposed to have nothing to do with merit becomes a merit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. It, so it becomes an additional act of merit, um, which is so strange and and ugly. Um, so I, I mentioned this because if I was to if I was to draw this uh, and make the distinction, I would say that um, what we're critiquing is the concept that that God is uh, functionally pragmatically uh, useful to me. So therefore, I will worship the Lord. I will worship Christ um, for these various things that I might see as benefits. And what, what ends up happening is we end up worshiping the benefits and not the King of heaven for whom we must fall down and worship. So uh, the reality is that the Bible presents God as a, as a high king, uh, glorious in all of his ways, and yet willing to condescend. He tells us in, in Exodus, he is the Lord, the Lord. And the very first thing he says is that he's the God gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So you have these dual images, which are true, that he's holy and good and yet willing to condescend. Well, there's nothing about that biblical image that really can allow us to make him a, uh, a, a genie in a bottle or putty in our hands. Um, that's arrogant and foolish and, and false. So, you know, when you think about this, what, what the distinct difference is, is it is trusting in God for pragmatic things versus trusting in God as God, as the object of my faith, right? Um, and one is one is very functional, uh, and the other is truly uh, faithful. It's the way that the Bible speaks of faith, genuinely looking to the Lord uh, for him being God and me not, and, uh, and Christ is interwoven with that, so yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like what you're saying is is what we really have is we have um, ourselves who, in the place of God, we're putting joy, happiness, money, mm-hmm. health, fill in whatever word. Yeah. And we're making that our God. And then mm-hmm. we take the person of Christ, we bring him down, we mm-hmm. strip him of his divinity, and we make him a great teacher that is there to help us <laughs> achieve those things. Yeah, no, I think that's such a good point. Will the when when Christ then becomes simply a teacher of those things or an avenue toward those things, then we've removed from him. Well, we've removed his his divinity, his godness. We've removed his uh, substitutionary atonement. That is that he actually laid down his own life to pay for your sins and mine, and and by so doing, we've also removed his ability to save us. Um, and so the reason I began by restating the true gospel is to say that the true gospel always has its eyes beyond this life. And the false gospel that we're uh, addressing today has most of its focus right here in this life. Um, so I think what, what becomes super dangerous for us is that, um, is that we begin to deal with God. And I, I think we see this... Um, certainly in various denominations or various non-denominational churches. We also see it as a general cultural thought um, in the South and surely 
in Auburn as a whole. Have you seen this just in the world that you live in? I have seen it a couple of times. Most commonly I'll hear, I'm believing God for, and we talked about that a little earlier in this mm-hmm. podcast. And, um, whereas, as you said, God is merciful. God is good. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not believing God for our healing. Uh, we're right. believing God for who he is. Yeah. Um, and if God brings the healing, then praise mm-hmm. the Lord. If God doesn't bring the healing, then praise the Lord Yeah. Uh, for his will is sovereign. Yeah, that's a and that's a totally different thing, isn't it? And and I think we can let's let's first acknowledge how how we got here. Um, I do think that that so many of the roots of Pentecostalism and what we w- might critique of from a distance as the health and wealth gospel have their roots in a, in a particular reading of the Old Testament. Um, so you mentioned offline before we started uh, Joseph uh, in in the book of Genesis, the the latter uh, chapters of Genesis. So Joseph, who uh, is the, the youngest, well, the second youngest to the youngest son in his family um, is sold off into slavery. Life's really hard for him. But then the rest of his life appears to be this trajectory upward. Well, um, if, if that is the quintessential example, then what we've done is we've separated all of the whole story um, and made him kind of the example, right? Abraham is sometimes viewed the same way. Nobody talks about the fact that he spent 25 years simply believing God to be God, simply believing God to do what he said he would do, um, which was, you know, as I, as I mentioned when I preached that section of the Bible, um, for them, for Abraham and Sarah, for infertility is the, is the field upon which the Lord intends to grow their faith. So let me, let me make a mention of a couple of passages. Both come from Hebrews 11, and I think they're both helpful in our understanding of this. Uh, the first part of Hebrews chapter 11, if you remember Hebrews 11, this is this is what's often called the Hall of Fame of Faith. Um, it's, there's a repeated phrase, by faith, so-and-so uh, did this or did that or believed God or trusted God. Um, and so the first section of Hebrews 11 speaks of uh, those who lived their lives in faith and actually saw some of those things even in their life. So one example is is Noah. Um, chapter 7, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 7 of Hebrews, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world, became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, it's, it is in that that you can see, okay, well, what the writer is commending is that there was a faith that had true, real actions in this life that meant something. You fast forward in that same Hall of Fame of Faith, though, once you jump past Abraham, you come to his immediate offspring. Uh, And here's the way that the writer speaks of that faith. Verse 20 of chapter 11, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Now, I mention that because all of those things are acknowledging what Hebrews 11 has, all, has already acknowledged, that these, these people were looking forward to something that was always beyond this life. Um, it, it is a great disservice not just to God, but truly it's a great disservice to ourselves when we think of God as a method 
to my happiness, as a method to my riches, as a method to my blessing, um, then what I'm doing is I'm actually thinking that I'm wielding him in my hands. And uh, what what I think each of these men would tell us, should they speak, and in some ways they do speak from the pages of Scripture, but they would they would tell us that that all of life, if you try to bind it up right here and right now, you will be utterly and completely disappointed. Moreover, the New Testament tells a very different story about uh, <laughs> the functionality of God in the hands of men. Um, you know, church history tells us how each of the apostles died. Uh, and, you know, each of them, in a sense, gave their lives. John, we, we believe, lived the longest, but even that, we, we believe he eventually died giving his life for the cause of Christ. Um, and, and they were looking forward, as the writer to the Hebrews says, um, not to reward in this life, maybe not even to solely and fully to reward in the next life, but they're doing what they believe they must do in, in the sense that Christ is the king. And so this becomes utterly different. Um, any thoughts or comments before I move on? I don't want to overtalk. Uh, the, the only thought I had was um, how this false gospel in the New Testament, how we kind of see this so related to Greek mythology and exactly mm-hmm. what Paul and a lot of the other apostles were speaking against. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have we want health. And so we find this one God who is the God of health and we worship that God until we're healthy. We want our soil to be fruitful with uh, plants uh, with corn, with wheat. Um, and so we find the God of corn and wheat and we worship that God until we have corn and wheat and then we move on to the next. Um, I was just thinking of how that kind of directly correlates to what we're talking about. Yeah. It's classic. It, it's classic idolatry, isn't it? Um, which I think by you mentioning that, Will, it it makes it a really useful way for us to think about how this applies. I I never want our readers, I mean our listeners, to think that we're, um, that I'm simply just sitting here um, making casual observations about the world around me. Um, All of this deeply applies to me and to you and to um, those within our own church, right? Certainly, I would anticipate unbelievers easily twisting the true gospel. Um, It's the work of the Spirit that makes the true gospel come alive in us and nothing else. But what occurs to me as as you mention that is that the application for me uh, and those within our church, uh, you included, is is simply this. There's something in us that uh, in times past when pagans did it, they would go and worship that single individual idol over there and they'd bow down and worship it. But in some ways, uh, quite often what we do is we treat God as a small little being that, that can dwell on our, on our countertop or dwell in our little, um, the back of our minds. And when he doesn't deliver, in other words, when he doesn't do what I've come to worship him to do, then we have two responses. Um, we either go, well, I'm done with it. I'm going to dethrone him. I'm going to kick him off. And we don't, we, you know, I suspect there's many people, uh, myself included, who wouldn't say that out loud. Okay, God, well, I tried and you didn't deliver for me. Therefore, I'm going to dethrone you. Um, but what happens is I, 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 um, I will turn to lesser things in hopes that maybe I can find 
happiness or blessing or riches or something else in some other direction. The other response, and I think this is the response that is the biblical one, and that is to say, Father, uh, I repent for having treated you as if I was the object of worship and you were the one coming to serve me. Um, and here's a, here's a massive difference between the false gospel that we're talking about and the true gospel. I, I, I'm called to worship the Lord. You're called to worship the Lord um, simply for who he is. And the only access that I have to worship that God is Christ, which tells me everything I need to know about the character of this God. So um, is he going to take care of me? Yes. I don't worship him because he's going to take care of me. Um, is he going to um, heal me when I'm sick? Well, uh, he's, he's going to heal. Sometimes it's healing in this life, and sometimes it's uh, healing by virtue of this old body dying away, and I'm healed in eternity. But when I, when I truly recognize that God's the king, then it utterly changes my posture um, toward the king. And that is, I become humble, um, perhaps brokenhearted and repentant. Um, and he, who reigns on the throne, becomes the right place for my worship. Um, and so then what happens, I, I believe, is when I apply the truth of God and who he is to my own heart, it shifts me from being the king to him being the king. Um, and that's where faith is, right? That's what, that's what Hebrews 11 is really about. And that's why they learn to trust even when they couldn't see. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's Hebrews 11, 1. Well, I hope that I hope that's helpful for our people. Thank you for mentioning that so much. Was. Thank you, Pastor Zellner. Yeah, thank you, Will. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, everyone, for listening.